Hello. Hello. Welcome to Industry Tactics. This is episode number 59. I speak with the entrepreneur, a curator, an artist in his own right. This is my talk with Gary Top. Uh, we talk about his friendship, actually carrying off from last episode and my talk with Colin Brunton. We talk about Gary's friendship with Nash the Slash. This is a long one. Buckle up. I'm going to be short here. We talk about his early years uh, working at the Roxy, the theater, curating really underground shit um, with Colin Brunton working there. That's how they met. And uh, we get into city plaques and the, 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 the history of Toronto. Sam Snyderman, there's a lot we talk about. Uh, Gary's work with the two Garys, his his relationship with Gary Cormier. They booked everybody, you know, from the police to Sun Ra to Captain Beefheart. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty intense talk. Gary waxes poetic about uh, early days of Bob Dylan, hearing him uh, live, uh, w- seeing Woody Allen early, er, early years as well. It's a pretty fascinating uh, trip that we take here with Gary Top. Uh, so this is a good a good little uh, taster, little teaser to a graphic novel coming out uh, illustrated by Dave Collier. So look for that in the future. Enjoy it, my friends. This is my talk with Mr. Gary Top. So I play for, for fun. For our general, for our for our gentle listeners, how would you, Gary Top introducing you? I would say you're a you're a you're a booker. You, you were a booking agent, but you also ran a, a theater. You, you, uh, you wear I, many hats. How would you kind uh, of? I can I. Um, I, would I also guess s- I consider myself yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah. But yeah. I consider myself a curator. There we go. More than anything. There we go. And. And and I Booker consider an myself yeah. not to sound artist, not to sound yeah. egotistical, but I consider myself an artist because Amen. Amen. I uh, everything that I have done mm-hmm. from high school to the present, yeah, yeah, I think was artistically motivated and artistically produced. Well, you're one of a kind, in my opinion. I'm a dying. I, I'm not even a dying breed because there weren't many. Fuck. And, and I, what I want to do is try to. I want to. I want to focus on that. I, I want to like talk about kind of how you came up and how you became you because you're a very special. Like I'm gonna. I'm gonna give an intro to this thing, and I'm gonna probably dwell on the fact that you're a very special character, human in the arts and music, especially uh, for me anyway, in the city of Toronto. And you're right. Like there aren't many of you. You're hard to define. 
and you've gone to bat for so many weirdos. Like, and, 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 and yeah, curator is a good word, in my opinion, in terms of capturing the way you do what you do. Okay, it's paused. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want those in there. Okay, no, go no, again. No, no, Go ahead, go ahead. But, but that was, that's the thought, that I, I like curator because... Well, you know, I think I am because I, you know, I... Uh, uh, not, neither I nor Gary. Who's Gary? Cormier, who was, the, you know... Part the of the other, two Garys. The Garys, the Garys, yeah. He was your partner? He was my partner and okay. lover in, okay. in a different sense. Yeah. In a, you know, whatever. We were like married. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, without Work, without even living yeah. together. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we, um, we didn't go, we didn't go by the rules, number one, and we didn't align ourselves to to agents and to music directories and we booked out of our out of our love for music out of our record libraries it was like we right. booked that so sense. that we didn't have to buy tickets to shows right and you we were interested in music yeah yeah and um you know like i mean you call you you say um you, you uh do, you kind of define me as music where you know it's I, more than that right i yeah. think that's because yeah. of your age your generation or it's also my our, me as our, a yeah, um, yeah yeah our uh our uh, what's the word our um associate you with being a a, a a a music mogul someone who booked a lot of music in his career but, but it's much more than that right well i think uh yeah i mean i'm com totally proud of the mo the movie stuff I did at the yeah. Roxy, yeah. the original ninety nine cent Roxy. What was your role at the Roxy, Gary? I rented the theater and you were like the artistic program. Okay, you were the programmer and ran a show every night. It was every night, every night, and you uh, two Colin different movies every night, all night shows on yeah. long weekends, etc. You know, whenever. And, um, and you kind of created that the after the after hour kind of feel to it, like the the yes. fact that it would go like apparently Colin Brunton in the last episode kind of alluded to the fact that he came up in that era. You were well, he you were was in school. He was my <laughs> the f he and a another kid named Randy Terrell. Yeah, were were the first two people I ever hired wow. for anything. Sick. And they were they were young kids, you know, just who liked movies and showed up every night and at, at a at a certain point isn't that it beautiful? was too big to run myself and you know there's a, a longer story uh, yeah, yeah attached to the roxy where i had you know two partners who tried to fuck me and yeah and didn't get away with it and you know i mean but my whole my whole uh, life yeah was devoted to the arts that interested me. You know, I mean, yeah, we were talking nice. about the little record player. I mean, the first music I ever responded to yeah. were like the um, the broad the Rodgers and Hammerstein 
style plays, you know, Broadway plays and okay. <coughs> soundtracks. And I knew, um, you know, the you know there'd be Broadway plays, and then there'd be when I was quite young. Uh, they had they the uh, the Jewish Y at Florence Spadina had been built. Uh-huh. <coughs> Excuse me. And my um, my dad used to take me to screenings of movies on Sunday afternoons there in the auditorium, mm-hmm. sixteen millimeter, the whole business. Awesome. And I was fascinated with the screen, the stage in front of me with this big screen and the the wings the curtains around and what yeah. went on behind these curtains you know yeah I, I concentrated on the movies but i dreamed about what went on behind that screen you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh you know showbiz kind of always interested me and uh huh so y- you know i was in you know i mean the, i guess the first you know and then rock and roll came along and i was really interested in that and well i you <coughs> in toronto at that time excuse it must me have for been. coughing a lot no no it's, it's all good cough yeah. that you know about thank you for talking and mentioning it but it is getting better he's getting better don't be it's concerned not, gentle listener he, yeah. he looks great and he sounds great it's <laughs> that's his gary's voice perfectly and keep the coughs in there it's good um but Toronto at that time, as you're coming up, rock and roll comes along. And it's like you—you you must be like, it, it's. Well, I, I, I want it. you to compare it to now. Like I—I'm interested in that. Like the way it's evolved or de-evolved. Like I know you and I have, and I don't want to sound too, like I don't want to hate on w- with the way culture is right now in the city of Toronto. Let's say right, but it's fucking much different when you're coming up, isn't it? Like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm in Toronto and. As a kid, I mean, you couldn't even go to a movie, let alone buy a beer on a, not that yeah. I was drinking beer yeah. as a kid, yeah. or now, but, um, y- you know, it was a dead city. It was like a Catholic or whatever yeah. city. Yeah, and, uh, it was very kind of... You know, you could not go to a movie on a Sunday. I, I guess the first concert I ever went to was at the Gardens. Mm-hmm. Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, it was Bill Haley and the Comets. Mm. But it wasn't that I... My my parents took me. Mm-hmm. I never saw Elvis. No. You know, um, I didn't really start getting into live music until, for real, until, you know, the, I guess, the late 50s with uh, folk music. Uh-huh. Which, for me, was probably uh, my first experience into counterculture. Okay. You because know, listening to Elvis, I was just a kid, you know, yeah, listening yeah, to the radio, yeah, yeah. and I loved the radio. Yeah. We're going all over the place, but it's good. Let's you know, do it. I uh, I recall, um, I, I I vividly recall lying in bed after I had my tonsils out hmm. in grade two, and uh, listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. And thinking, and it was CBC, and and oh, wow. thinking like there'd be all these people talking on on the radio, and then mm. they'd play some music, and I thought that they were all there. Oh, awesome! That it was like, like that's they were so in, imaginative. I wouldn't have known it as a studio, awesome. but these and now these guys were there, and then they'd say, "Now we're going to hear so and so," and. You thought they were right there. That's the theater of the mind. Yeah, theater of the mind for sure. Yeah. So you know, I was always interested in that, and and um, 
you know, two of the two of the uh, most important presents I ever got were for my bar mitzvah. When everybody gave you Jewish books and yeah. pan, fountain pens and yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know uh, blankets to go to the football game with. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had I got a um, a transistor radio uh-huh. from someone you know parents friends but yeah. a transistor radio yeah and a woolen sack tape recorder from, okay from some wealthy cousins that I had in Montreal uh-huh. and those two things just sort of kick-started awesome. kick-started me yeah and the tape recorder I mean not only did I you know like in those days um, I was born in 1945 so okay. you know I got the wow. tape recorder when I was 13 yeah yeah so what's that 50 45 58 yeah, yeah. Uh, CBC TV was picked up on where CKLN or 88.1 or whatever uh. that end of the dial on the FM radio uh. and I was able to with the help of my dad uh-huh. and he had like this big uh, electro home stereo uh-huh. console and all that was able to um, hook up the tape recorder into the stereo and record TV shows. Okay, wow, that's way ahead of its time. And <laughs> I used to, and and in those days, CBC TV was uh, was ahead of its time. And, it was, and, a, and uh. it. It was artistic. Wow. To use wow, that word wow, again. I mean, wow. you know, they did some amazing shows. You know, Daryl Duke's uh, Quest show was incredible. And, wow. Uh, CBC did this um, amazing show called uh, The Blues Like It Is. And TV. Which, TV. TV, where they brought, brought all these incredible, like the legends. It's very important to, to know. And Canadian and American? or America. American, you know, okay. Howlin' okay. Wolf and okay. Muddy, wow. Buddy Gu- uh, yeah. Muddy Waters yeah. and Otis Spahn and okay, okay. all these people. And I happened to have been lucky enough when I was an early teenager to know, to be friends with uh, this, fa- this couple, Bill and Chloe Smith. Okay. Chloe Smith, I eventually did a radio show with on CKLN but okay. <clears throat> Bill was one of the uh, was the edit was the editor and uh, f- uh, f- photographic editor of yeah. Coda Jazz Magazine okay. which may have been like one of the best jazz magazines ever yeah. like the publisher championed sort of the old style jazz and Bill championed all the new stuff is where I learned oh. about Albert Eiler and John Coltrane yeah. and Cecil Taylor yeah, and, yeah. you know and yeah. fell in love with all that stuff but um, he invited me took me to this taping of this show which you can pick up on uh, on the YouTube uh, Colin James the CBC like if, I don't know how many a few years ago they had a, like a, yeah. a a Colin James blues yeah, yeah, yeah. series yeah. And they use a lot of this show they just 
Anyway, I used to but. tape all this great stuff, you know, and I had Charlie Mingus on Q, on Quest, rather, sorry. Not Q. On Quest. Just, on just Quest, for the listener. Yeah. And, um, That'll be the day. And uh, Bob Dylan, when he did his legendary uh, half-hour show. You taped it. On, on that <laughs> show. And Ed Sullivan, uh. when he had the Rolling Stones on. I wasn't <clears throat> a huge Beatles fan, but the Rolling Stones kind of yeah blew me away you know yeah. but i i went into um you know from from the folk music being my culture counterculture yeah and and i wasn't a hippie but i used to go to the folk clubs in yeah in uh, in yorkville and if wow. you're if you're down at yorkville on avenue road yeah at the corner on avenue road yeah there was a club called uh the Purple Onion, ah. which was a qu quite a famous club for a few years, and I used to hang, go there all the time. But those clubs, you needed membership cards to get. No in. way. So there's a plaque. Here we go. There's now, a plaque designating. Um, that's what I want to touch on. Like some of the stuff that you just designating see this club. You got to have a card to get into the club. Yeah. So what would a, it look like? That card. It's just a. Well, like purple a membership onion? club with we a little bring purple this onion back. on it and all. Anyway, <laughs> I won't explain what it looked like, Fucking but amazing. if you're interested or anybody's interested, there's a there's a, a historical plaque yeah. in on Avenue Road. Just second the plaque corner. of the podcast. Second plaque. Just a ring a bell. Second plaque on the corner of where? On the corner of uh, Avenue Road and Yorkville, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where designating the purple onion. And That's important, right? The guy who was uh, sort of instrumental in in these historical plot music, Toronto music historical plaques. Yeah, knew because we had talked a lot about you know experiences down there. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. He knew I had a card, so oh, it's man. now on this historical plaque. My card from 1963. Well, get out there, and, and I'm going to get out there and photograph it. Yeah. That, that'll so, be my next mission. So, you know, it's kind of Beautiful, nice, Gary. You know, I Thank used you. to go to all, you know, in those days, you go to these clubs, and, and like, the musicians, the stars, yeah, would, um, their dressing rooms were basically the front lobby. You're hanging out. They were, they hung out with you, you know, they didn't have back rooms. A lot of them because they were so small. Yeah. And uh, so you got to know people, you to meet the stars, you know, um, and you could talk with them. And so I got a lot of great experiences uh, from that. But one great experience from the Purple Onion was there was a guy named a musician named Eric Darling. Okay. E E R I K. And for very coincidentally mm. small worldish mm -hmm. we had a lot in common me as a little a young teenager yeah um my parents used to go to new york a lot my mom loved to shop and the shows <coughs> excuse me and and a lot of times they take me in you know mm -hmm. when i was a little older they'd let me hang out uh -huh. in the village uh-huh you know, and I'd go to the clubs there and meet people and stuff. But 
when I wasn't as old as that, mm-hmm. they once took me to um, to the bitter end to see this folk group called the Terriers. The Terriers in the late fifties had a hit called the Banana Boat Song. <laughs> day oh day oh day, and I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And, but they were when I saw them, they were a quartet. Oh wow! And um, they were pretty awesome group. The opening act for them mm-hmm. was Woody Allen doing oh. the first stand-up gig in the village that he had done was those dates. You're there. End, and I was there. Jesus. Uh, in his brown suede, yeah. wide lapel jacket and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the Terriers. The only song I can sing is Bottom Cabbage Down. Bottom Cabbage Down, boys, turn the whole cake round. I had a little girl, the name was Sprocket. She had full teeth. She put them in her pocket. Her teeth fell out when she reached on a shelf. She sat down and bit herself. In those days, one of the musicians always told jokes between songs. Yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Paul sure. used to tell jokes. Sure. Whatever, and the limelighters. And anyway, in the Terriers, the, the bass player, who yeah. also played, you know, all these, uh, you know, ba- was a great string mandolin and, and, ba- and uh, banjo and stuff, yeah. was the comedian. Well, he ended up being the co writer of many of Woody Allen's early movies. Wow. His name was Marshall Brickman. You gotta love this. And he co-wrote Jersey Boys. Wow. The banjo player, who was as good as Earl Scruggs, was Eric Weisberg, (laughs) from the guy who played the Deliverance theme song. Holy shit. And... uh, Man, what a time. The other two, you know... Yeah. (laughs) Whatever happened. Choose your own adventure. But anyway, nice. I became friend. I made. I I met them at the club, and I eventually, as a teenager, yeah, brought them to Toronto to play in a club which was on Church Street, yeah, just north of the Gardens on the east side, which is now I think called the Black Eagle. Okay. Okay. Gay club, leather club, and um, and they played there. A couple times, and anyway, you? Eric Darling. Yeah. This Eric Darling, I'm telling you the story. Yeah. Was in the was the original banjo player in the Terriers, so so I'm now a counselor at camp, and Eric Darling's playing. Uh, anyway, Eric Darling replaced Pete Seeger in the Weavers, oh. and eventually left and had a solo career and put out a couple of. One really, one of my favorite sort of folk records wow. of all time on Vanguard called True Religion. And wow. anyway, I was a counselor at camp and I snuck out <laughs> at camp uh-huh. and I got away with it and went to Toronto to see Eric Darling of the Purple Onion. And um, where, where do you get that kind of courage to start booking and bringing acts like the Terriers, like outside, out, bands outside of Canada even, to I just, Toronto? I was interested. And, uh, Who were some of your first bookings? 
Well, that was the first time I ever. I, it, I wasn't the promoter, but I set it up. I see. You know. But you just I, thought you just had the. But you I had that instinct. To do it, right. You wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, before I. Yeah. So anyway, Eric Darling. So I, you know, years a couple of years later, I'm yeah. at, I'm um, in New York, wandering out around the village at night <sighs> with a friend. Uh huh. And um, look, there's Eric Darling. Run up to Eric. Hey, Eric, you remember me? I met you at the Purple Onion in Toronto. Yeah. And he, no, he did remember me. Like he said he remembered yeah. me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I said, anybody could suggest that I go, we go see down here while we're here? And? And um, I've got a new record coming out. It'll be out next week. I said, oh, what's, what is it? Is it you? No, it's a band. It's called the Rooftop Singers. You really? know the song, really? Walk Right In. Sure. Eric, with the high voice, that, that's, that's Eric Darling. Oh, fuck. So, like, that's you know, those good. kind of things are, like, great memories. That, you know, people, musicians are telling you. That's a time, too. It's like, yeah. A, yeah like and then that's there's another guy called, um, oh, wow. now I lost, forgot his name, um. Oh, anyway, I can't yeah. remember his yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, I used to go see him a lot. and um, Purple Onion again? or No, just wherever. Okay. Um, playing in New York at Gertie's Folk City. He's on the bill with John Lee Hooker. Holy shit. Opening for John Lee Hooker. You got to go see this guy. Yeah. Bob Dylan. Wow. So I mean, you he didn't have a record out. It was that early. Yeah. And you're there. Yeah, and like Jeez. to me, seeing him, yeah, was like uh, I didn't equate it at the time. I've equated it since. He I was punk, the he brought punk rock, he punk folk, like compared to all the you know the guys with their their button down striped sure. shirts and blah, blah blah. This guy was like punk. Like he was like the before Ramones it, before it was a word to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, yeah. He was like the Ramones. Now, the, yeah. You know, when I think of it. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, people like John Hammond when he first started. It's like punk rock, like motorcycle kind of. Yeah. Blues kind of. What was that? What was that? Was it solo? Solo Dylan? Just yeah, him just him and his guitar and his harmonica. What it? Um, you know, and to this wow. day, his first album yeah. is my favorite, and I've gone through like three of them. Wow! Uh, and when I was a counselor at camp, wow! I used to bring my record player to camp and, yeah. and records. Yeah, man. And the, you know, I'd play them in the cabin and stuff, and I had my transistor radio there too. And uh, huh. <coughs> years later, love how I, those are the the glue in a lot of ways. Like those are the constant. The, oh, yeah, those two, the, those all, those almost sound like your rosebud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The very important, totally um, symbols in your life. Yeah. Um, the um, you know, I when I was a counselor at camp, I'd bring the record player to camp, and. Years later, when our second kid was born, uh -huh. Andrew, mm -hmm. uh, I guess he probably was in like grade one or something, grade mm -hmm. two mm -hmm. at the time. And I'm, I walked him to school, and I'm walking off the school grounds, mm -hmm. and a big SUV pulls up, mm -hmm. 
and a guy jumps out, and I'd seen him around, a guy jumps out to get his kid, and he's late, and he's running, and he passes me, he says, you're Gary Top." Yeah, and I, I recognize his face. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm Gary Top. He says, you were my counselor at Camp Tamarack. You turned me on to Bob Dylan. Holy shit. <laughs> Which was you gotta love pretty that. great. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, love, gotta that. love that. So, those, so those the tape recorder and the music yeah. and all that yeah. was pretty important. When I had the tape recorder, you remember, um, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, back in the 50s, they do these Martian records. No. Like they'd tell a story with, blah, 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 yes. okay, you know, okay, all this yeah. says, don't sub on the blues, Reggie. You know, they'd mix li- lyrics of songs in with a, a funny story, you know, okay, like okay. two minutes long or and something. It's a record? They were on the hit parade, yeah. yeah, yeah. They were famous. Yeah. They were very popular. And I used to make these things on my <sighs> tape recorder and take them to Chum, th- hoping that they would play them. And they were good, I thought, but of course they didn't play them. And I take my radio awesome. to camp, and you know when I was when I wasn't when I wasn't a counselor that young, yeah, um, just probably late fifties, yeah. Uh, Sam Snyderman's son, sure, was a counselor at this camp. What's his name? Stephen Snyderman. Okay. Not Bobby Snyder okay, okay. from Jazz Bistro. Okay. He was a little camper at the time. Okay. But he would, we would, Sunday afternoons, yeah. go into the cabin and listen to the radio for his dad, Sam's ads on the radio. Fucking getting S- it Snyderman's right here. music hall. S- that's what it was called? Yeah, it was like a little... It was like a section of a furniture store, as I recall. Dig into it, kids, but before I, Sam the Record Man. Yeah. We're getting deep into this. So we were this. listening to that, and then Gary. You know, horrib- a horrible thing happened. Um, he, he, one year he brought a radio to camp, and you'd hook, the, the an, hook an antenna up from the radio uh-huh. to your bed springs. Uh-huh. And one night, he, Stephen Snyderman, mm-hmm. had taken a shower. This was an all-boys camp. I okay. was all Boy Scouts and Wolf Cubs, okay. which is the way camp really should be. It was very cool. Uh-huh. And um, so he takes a shower, and he comes back into his cabin, and he jumps up on the bed, and he He's burst an aneurysm. Oh. And died. No. Like one cabin away from me. And there oh were my helicopters God, and ambulances and everything coming in that day. And I, oh, I've heard horrible. this urban legend from somebody who worked at Roblins, which was Snyder, Sam's uh, distributing company. Yeah. That they would never allow, he would, nobody could wear green at Roblins because that was the color of the camp. So oh I'm my not gosh. sure if that's true or not, but um, that's anyways, terrible. Horrible. How old are you when this happens? Well, I was still a camper, so I I can't tell how old I was, but that's terrible. Yeah, what a thing to witness. Probably f- fourteen. Oh my god! But um, yeah, mm. so the tape recorder and the radio, you know, I'd stay up all night listening to the radio, and I and the other thing about headbanging is that. I sleep on my stomach. 
Okay. Go well. I've never. I don't. Have, have I ever met someone who sleeps on their stomach? I who love, sleeps on their stomach? I don't know. Gary I, Top does. <laughs> Go ahead. We're really stomach, getting into it. But I'd lie. I'd lie. Um, I'd lie on the bed with my hands stretched under the pillow, down the side of the bed, the front of the bed. Okay. Radio like an, on a headboard in front of the bed. Yeah. I'm picturing and it. I'd You're instead banging of slamming head. my head into the one of the first headbangers, I'd slam it into the pillow. Uh, tweet us at Industry Tactics <laughs> if you sleep on your stomach. I don't think people people aren't sleeping on their stomachs. Are you sleeping on your stomach? Tweet us at Industry Tactics. <laughs> um, Gary, just rifle it, rifle round with me. Who have you brought to Toronto? What are some of the artist names, musicians that you've brought to Toronto over the years? Let's just give our listeners, if they don't know your va- your rich background, rifle round, just list them. Here we go. Um, Start with the police. We'll just, I mean, you don't want to end with the police. It's going to be awkward. Go ahead. That was a fart okay, from, from the dog, okay? Just go ahead. Start. Gary just farted. Um, well, the first concert I ever brought was a group called when I was in Centennial College. Centennial College. That's where you That's went to college? I, yeah. I went to, I was there with 600 people the first the first community college. What are you taking? It was in an armory and um, it hadn't cool. really been built. Cool. And um, Where's the armory? It was on Warden Road and below between Eglinton and St. Clair. Okay. And okay. when I went to register I drove by it three times cuz I couldn't As you find would. it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great experience. But I took public relations and oh, wow. journalism. Huh. And when I went there, well, I mean, when I was in high school, I used to, uh, a friend and I used to rent serials. This is before Batman, Adam West TV show. Uh-huh. We used to rent, rent serials and, you know, 20 of our friends would pay a buck each and we'd go and smoke pot and drink coca-cola and watch you know cereals which on by the reel lasted five hours so Uh you know when you change the reels and rewind the reels and you know it was like another two hours so (laughs) and we do this like every so often so i was always promoting and then um and then i had a film uh a film uh, society that I ran for a couple of years uh, at this French restaurant that doesn't exist called La Maison d'Or, which was on Davenport, on the south side of Davenport, east of Young, you know, just where it curves, and now there's a car wash there, Mm -hmm. and King's, uh, I think it's called King's Indian Food Takeout Place. Mm. Anyway, so I did that for like, two years and I was bringing in like you know not your normal movies and um, that's that's the that's the key for you right yeah and uh, and even in high school at a at a a storefront uh, on um, just below just well around McPherson and Young okay there's uh, there was a an old butcher shop that some guys that I knew uh, one was an architect Uh. and they bought this building Uh. 
and they it was the first renovation I had ever really seen in a you know like a lofty kind okay. of renovation okay. in this store and they left the storefront vacant okay and they let us show movies down there oh, and my man. dad had a 16 millimeter projector and that was another reason why movies always interested me you know but um because we get to see movies yeah but we used to show movies in this storefront it's now a woman's clothing store okay and um in the window i put a screen uh-huh. and the far end opposite this window of okay. the front of the building okay was um a built-in meat refrigerator with beautiful wooden framed glass doors, you know, to walk into the refrigerator and you could yeah. see the meat hanging and everything, yeah. right? Yeah. So we used that as the projection booth so you couldn't hear the projector. What a, what a vibe. And we'd put posters up in the window. I don't know how we got away with it, but we'd put posters in the window and we'd be packed, every, like packed, you know, 70 people maybe. Hey. 60 people but they'd come and watch his movies and they loved it and it was a different kind of movie theater and i learned so much about how how to charming. run how to have a different kind of movie theater he's running a cinema stale. he's running a, a a a cinema out of a butcher shop yeah that's fucking <laughs> awesome man like <laughs> never thought right right when yeah, you no, when you when you sit down and think fair. about it a, a no. projection booth where they're hanging the meat yeah. yeah, that's never gonna happen again, no. right? I mean, and just I go into the butcher. I go into the, <laughs> into the clothing store. Sometimes, you know, when they change hands, they say, you won't believe what went on in this place. And they they don't have any. They they just think I'm crazy. Yeah. But uh, when I went to Centennial College with all this shit that I was doing, yeah. On my own, yeah. You know, from the terriers at the Fifth Peg to the Film Society, to yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I um, I'm learning about public relations, and I'm thinking, shit, I've been doing this for like eight years, ten years, right? Doing it, it's I always, know, I just didn't have it, didn't have it refined, and I'm not. Well, re- you didn't I, even I, know I it was a word. Really been, yeah, yeah. Refined even when right. I did it. Right. When I used to send out press releases sure, in the days of fax, I'd scribble them with a sharpie and good, good, you know, good, good, good. Put them Grass through roots. the fax machine. Yeah, yeah. I wanted them to stand out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but um, That's so cool. I took that, and there I ran a film society as well. You've always kind of kept it fresh, eh? I mean, always. Uh, I have to say, even when the meat uh, is I, I rotting. Think of myself, yeah. like, if anything, if anything about me, uh, and um, I think, uh, you know, a month or two ago, you know how you post your. Oh, it's my my dad's going to be 110. Yeah, I saw that. Whatever, and I said the one thing, two things he taught me yeah. was to be loyal mm-hmm. and to help people, and hmm. yep. I think all the way through whatever I've done, it, it was never financially um, <laughs> motivated. <laughs> Evidently, you know. I <laughs> some, mean, I you some know, of the stuff I made we've done over the years. Live, yeah, yeah, sure. But I, you know, I yeah. could have gone and worked for right CPI or Live Nation or whatever, right. right? But it never interested me, right? For many, for various reasons. But I think everything that I've promoted, mm-hmm. whether it be movies or musicians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or comedians. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> they were never the top ten. Like they were the they were under they I'm not the underdogs. Not the underdogs. Yeah. Some were underground, but yeah, yeah. Un, the underdogs. They were. I. 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 What I. Well, when I was a teenager, one one um, one Saturday afternoon, I went. You could go to the Colonial Tavern to hear jazz, <coughs> and uh, excuse me, and um, and uh, you could sit upstairs and have a meal, and because we were too young to to drink mm-hmm. and to go to the bar, the Sure. license part downstairs one Saturday afternoon I went to see Thelonious Monk and I interviewed him for a school newspaper yeah Amazing. then when that was over we got in the car friend's car and we drove up to Huntsville to Hidden Valley Ski Resort uh-huh. to see the Yardbirds with Jimmy Page all in one day then went to Algonquin Park and camped but anyway interviewed kind of diet? interviewed Jesus. Thelonious Monk he said one thing that was used in the interview for the newspaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the, uh, what do you call it, the, the caption of the photograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. said, and I've never forgotten this, and in fact, the picture, the newsprint of that quote and his photo was on, a, on my bulletin board from whenever in the mids, mid-late mid late 60s yeah or may i don't know around then anyway 66 yeah. or whatever 67 yeah. yeah until i moved out of our place when we lived in our the first house we bought in uh the east end yeah which was 92 it was on my bolden board and, and when i took it off it crumbled the newsprint awesome, just awesome, crumbled. awesome anyway the quote is to get to get to it the only cats worth anything are those who take chances. And that, like, there it lit is. the light bulb in my head. There it is. And I was always intrigued by that. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying the Rolling Stones were, weren't big when I first heard Not Fade Away on, my, on, a, on a friend's radio mm-hmm. while studying in her backyard for an exam. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. You know, I'm getting out of folk music, getting bored with it. It's all becoming kind of mainstream. Mm-hmm. Then I hear not fade away. But, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I think, like, they were like punk rock and yeah, of their day. And I, I just, wow, Gary. when I heard punk rock, I thought, gee, this is like, this is like, uh, you know, the free music explosion in the 60s in jazz. Right. You know, as I was saying, like the Coltrane's and the yeah. Cecil Taylor's. This to me was like a revolution in music. Wow! So, um, man, that's it's so true. wherever we wherever that got came from, I don't know. But thank you for sharing that. That quote resonates, man. And and I mean, you've done that, right? You, yeah. It, it's no doubt that that quote crumbles after you take it down because you, yeah, yeah. you you would probably well, look at that every like day. Every movie that I showed. The movie theater they went to, everybody said, don't do it, nobody will go. Yeah. And I didn't even know where the Roxy was when, when I was first taken out. A friend took me out to, um, 
I'm not name dropping, but it's good for the interview to people to hear. But it is industry tactics. Know, I was friends with Marvin Von Newland, who Marv Newland was an American mm. animator who yeah. was living up here. Okay. And I met him in this in the like 71, 70 or whatever. Yeah. And um, wow. Marv Newland made Bambi meets Godzilla. Holy the cartoon, shit! Cartoon, right? <laughs> and um, anyway, he drove me out to see the Roxy uh, when we were thinking of renting it. Uh -huh. And he's in, in this Volkswagen van with no windows, and I'm s sitting there in the back, <clears throat> just in the cab kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea where I was. Went into the theater. The theater was like one of the nicest theaters in the city. It was yeah. designed by the, the architects that did... Um, the Eglinton Theater. Oh, yeah. Which is famous. Whoa. So, Whoa. perfectly designed theater. Wow. Stunk of garbage. Yeah. Hadn't been cleaned. Oh, yeah. So, people said, why are you doing a movie theater? Excuse me, a movie theater out there. Yeah. And I thought, it's not a subway stop. That's all that counts. Let's do it. And we would do like. And where was it? Where was it, Gary? Danforth and Greenwood. It's where yeah. the Tim Hortons is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Colin the, talked about that last episode. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. you know, they everybody thought it was a joke. You're crazy. You're crazy. And the reason we rented the theater was because when I worked, I worked at a my second and last job that I where I worked for somebody. Yeah. My first was at, um, I ramble, don't I? It's good. Ramble on, um, ramble on. Ramble, rambling Gary. Ramble on. Rambling Gar. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, the first job I got was, out of school, was um, working for, a, I guess, like a Canadian film version of Variety. Okay. Trade paper. Okay for motion picture industry and it was owned by this, this huh. sort of genius of motion that's great, picture man. That's exhibition yeah called nat named nat taylor and he owned uh, in those days a big chain called Cin uh, um, called um, 20th century twin x okay and they had all the they and famous players were the two big chains okay <coughs> odeon wasn't as big anyway he owned this publication cross-country huh. and um or national and um i got a job there was only me and the publisher and the editor and i would review things movies and whatever and number one i used to love reviewing all That's the sort cool. of the foreign films and yeah. the commercially insignificant films yeah but yeah. i needed i had it was at a time when Nat Taylor took the Lowe's, the Uptown Theater at Young and Bloor, mm. uh, south of Bloor, and turned it into the first multiplex. Okay. Yeah. And you remember that? Yeah, sure. So there were three theaters on Young Street, and two That's a big uh, step. called the Up. Uh, what were they called? The Up. The Uptown. Okay. And, and the yeah. two in the back called the Backstage. So I had to review this multiplex, the first in the world. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. And um, anyway, I gave it a review, and I loved the three theaters that were made into the, you know, I thought it was yeah. sensible. Yeah. 
because movie theaters were dying, and uh, and the two backstage, they I gave it a pan, okay, thumbs down. I okay. said, "What are you showing like second run movies for? Why don't you show movies that nobody else can see? You only got a hundred seats. Why don't you show Jean Luc Godard and blah blah yeah, blah, whatever? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they fired me for having an opinion. Yeah, for having an opinion. So, um, so, um, but. Interesting. I, I I was having um, that's cool. You know, even back to the to the Jewish why I was yeah. having uh, thoughts about love. You know, loving movie theaters yeah. and running yeah. movie theaters. I like why you got fired. And um, I really do. So I got a job with this company called Film Canada. Okay. Film Canada was a distributor. Yeah. Distributors are the people who rent the movies out. Industry tactics to the theaters. Okay, and they were also owned a theater called Cinecity, which okay. was across the street where the McDonald's is at Charles and Young, just below Bloor. Okay, okay. The old post office. Huh. And it was an amazing little 250 seat theater. Wow, man. And um, and the movies that film canada distributed were like gimme shelter and monterey pop and jean Le godard movies oh. and the 60s movies uh, um experimental filmmakers like kenneth anger and sounds like a perfect fit andy warhol movies yeah and, uh, you wow, know it was wow, an amazing wow. thing there um there i oh, got i was doing publicity and renting movies out to uh to universities and stuff, which was big in that in the day. So that's straight out of Centennial. Like you finish from at Centennial, Centennial and I you went go to there. Film okay, okay, weekly, okay, and then to okay. Film Canada. Okay. So then we were thinking about running midnight movies. Yeah, at, Colin, the, at our, at about our theater. Yeah, yeah. And cool. um, I begged and got the job. Yeah. To to book to program the midnight movies and um fridays and saturdays and uh awesome at one point i said okay i want to run yellow submarine and they kept saying hmm. you can't run yellow submarine nobody came to see it when it first came out nobody came to see it no one's gonna come to see it i said Fuck. they're gonna come what see a it time. at midnight they're going to come see it at midnight. You ever heard of the word drugs? <laughs> anyway, yeah. played for about three years. That was the thing. It was Saturday night. It was night. so popular. Friday nights. Friday was. nights. It unreal. was so popular yeah. that sometimes we would have a two o'clock in the morning show because the theater wasn't union. Jesus. And there were wow. so many people coming wow. in. Wow. But to think, to I have think a good story about that. When, yeah. um, when one time we were running Yellow Submarine, we were running Yellow Submarine, <coughs> and this group, <coughs> excuse me, and this group of people, like four, six people, come, mm. mm. kind of drunk, into the theater, and they want to get in, and I knew who one of them was. Okay, and he was the spokesperson. And they wanted to get into this seals. I mean, you can't. There's no room. There's no seats. Yeah. The aisles are full. It's that. They're pack. sitting in front of the screen on the floor, lying on the floor, looking up. Okay. You 
I can't. Yeah. And he says, do you know who I am? He was so obnoxious. I said, looked at him straight in the eye like I'm looking at you now yeah. with fire coming out of my eyes. <laughs> I said, I don't care if you're Lauren Lipowitz. You can't come in. <laughs> and he really got, he really got upset and so did they and they left. Well, Lauren Lipowitz, real name is Lauren Michaels. Oh my God. Saturday Night Live. Wow. And I knew who he was because I went to, I didn't go to school. Wow, him, man. But I, I was at the same school, different years. But, and he was always, whatever. But You got to love that. You got to love uh, that. You know, so I was getting into all that stuff. And, but uh, when I was in Centennial College, just to go back to that, I, I realized I'm doing all this publicity, yeah. all this PR stuff, yeah. and I know what it is. Anyway, when, um, so at one point, Film Canada, because we distributed Gimme Shelter and Monterey Pop, the owner of the company, Willem Pullman, yeah. knew all, you know, knew all the... Um, the cameraman and the producers uh -huh, of all these uh -huh. movies and stuff. And uh, so it was a time when the Toronto Pop Festival was happening. You know that train festival? Oh, yeah, Toronto, sure. what okay. was it called? Festival Express. Yeah, sure. Where they traveled across the country right. in the plane. Right. In the train, rather. That was a huge time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So wow. Willem figured this is going to be our Gimme Shelter. We're going to make a movie of this. But of course... They didn't really know how to make the movies, and they were kind of... They got all the great people to shoot it, yeah. but they didn't know what they were doing, and the festival was a big financial blowout. And Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody was getting in for free and boycotting okay. it because, you know, the hippies wanted whatever. And, um, sure, sure. So they shot it, and, and then it kind of put Film Canada into bankruptcy, Huh. And I knew who was going to take over the company, uh -huh. and I didn't want to work there, so I quit. You know, 30 years later or something, Willem's son, who used to use the, the cans of raw footage as goalposts for street hockey, uh -huh. figured out what was in the cans, Gavin Pullman, and made the movie Festival Express. Wow. They sat in, in the garage in these cans for like years. Wow, what like a story. tens of years. Huh. And um, so I quit. And then I kind of, you know, just try to figure out what, what am I going to do now? I don't want to work for that. I, yep. I want to keep doing this cool stuff, right? Yeah. Or yeah. what I thought was cool. Very and enjoy, cool. And yeah. enjoyable. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, so I started a film company, distribution company called Topsoil Films. And um, Topsoil Films. Yeah. And then I brought in these two guys who had worked at Film Canada. I always bring wow. in, you know, I'm generous to people, yeah. you yeah. know, it was, yeah. um, who eventually they tried to screw me but didn't win. But um, um, anyway, one day uh, there's a knock on the door, uh -huh. and uh, this British guy is at the door uh -huh. with a film in his hands. And he says, My name's Jerry Stickles. Uh, and I have a movie called Hendrix at Berkeley. Would you like to distribute it? And Jesus. Oh, shit. Jimi Hendrix? Me? Because 
at that point, I was distributing like uh, films by Emil D'Antonio, okay. who was like a, a black and white, um, wow. a very influential bl- uh, f- documentarian, American. Okay. okay. Did Millhouse, but Richard Nixon. And okay, okay. Point of Order, wow. William McCarthy, and wow. whatever. And um, anyway, I thought, oh man, I got a boner a mile long. <laughs> I'm going to be a millionaire quickly. <laughs> Jimmy Hendrix movie, blah, blah. Well, Jerry Stickles was Jimi Hendrix's road manager for many years. Wow. And then they made this movie when he played at at Berkeley. Okay. So it was 55, 50 minutes long. And I figured, well, it's too short to run in theaters like that. Yeah. So I'll run Babby Meets Godzilla, my friend's movie. There you go. And I'll run, go back to my teenage years, and I'll we'll take like a Batman serial and run... A 20-minute chapter of a Batman and change them all the time. Who wouldn't want to show that? Well, I thought, perfect. Backstage theater, perfect. Yeah. So I take it to the backstage theater. Do you think they're going to show my movie after they just fired me? Right. I had to be kidding. (laughs) They wouldn't. Good logic. Nobody would run it because the feature was 50 minutes. Okay. And and they didn't want to know about me anyway. Right. So... uh, I noticed that this Roxy Theater was available, was vacant for rent. And so I went to see it and opened that theater. Anyway, to get back to... That's why you're in his van. Yeah. Do you, do you, get a, do you screen the, the Hendrix film? Eh? Do you screen the Hendrix film? No, after? so I, we rent the, the movie theater. Yeah. Clean up the garbage. Yeah. Run incense in it every night because it's still stunk. Right. And... Um, showed Hendrix at Berkeley with Fucking the A. Batman and the thing and it played for about six weeks and I thought this is this is what I want to do I'm we got to continue it's unreal it's gotta unreal continue yeah. so I started showing screening the movies one excuse me a different movie every day five six days a week we weren't open six on days Sunday because wow. the owner of the theater yeah was Greek and he also yeah. owned the Titania Theater down the down at Broadview in Danforth, wow. which he still owns. It's the Music Hall. Okay, um, but he used to show Greek movies there. And um, is there? A I mean, plot? I used to pay rent to this guy. Go in on the last at the beginning of the month or the yeah. last Saturday. Yeah. Go to the Titania, and he was showing like horror dub, horror all nighters and whatever. Fuck. And I'd go find him in the back of the theater. He'd be sitting behind the screen just bored and I'd say I'd go there to pay him and yeah. he said I can't believe you got to stage why don't we run concerts there and he said no this is where I keep my ice cream coolers freezers and stuff <laughs> so I kept bugging him to do concerts there but at the Roxy uh, I did the first shows I did I guess I did one at, at um, Centennial College I did a festival with a bunch of people called Brave New Black Worlds. Yeah. And I brought up a, a at the time, up-and-coming uh, sax player, Robin Kenyatta. Huh. And we had other musicians and artists. And it was a black one day wow. promoting black arts wow. at Centennial College. Wow. And then... Wow. Um, and then That's amazing, uh, Gary. I had... Sorry? That's awesome. And I then... Mean. Um, but at the Roxy, uh, you know, the stage was maybe uh, 
three feet. It was smaller feet. back. Yeah. There was no backstage. Yeah. Right. It was a screen against the wall and okay. a lip in front of the stage, okay. right? Yeah. Like yeah. a normal yeah. theater. But I wanted to bring bands in. So on Friday nights, I would bring, every not every Friday night, but I'd bring a PA in and cool. I'd do a band. And some of the bands, so those were sort of, you know, when I started seriously getting into wanting to do music and um, like live music. You almost fluked upon it. You you like, it evolved. but It, like, it totally evolved. And like, you know, I when didn't you walked this. into the Roxy when yeah. the doors opened, yeah. and we used to do 700 to 1,000 people every night of the week. We were so successful that the movie chains tried to boycott us, have us boycotted by the distributors, but Wow. They couldn't, and we got so much press. Great, because we even were better, so yeah. popular. Yeah, and um, wow, and, and and you know, even though there was a lot of drugs going on there, yeah, I think the, even the police, who in those days walked their beats and would come <clears throat> would come in and check out a bit of the movie sometimes yeah. <laughs> or whatever. You know, even though the place stunk a pot, yeah, um, never never busted us or anything how did you promote the shows like how did you get that buzz to have that many people coming to the to each show I were you promoting it we like, did as a pr guy you know we like, did flyers yeah with a month you know a month or a month and a half of schedules okay cool, cool. and we went through thousands and thousands of them <clears throat> also wow. uh, you know i promoted to them to the press right and right. uh we also had um and it worked i mean we were you cannot believe what went on there. Going into there was like going into Animal House. I bet. And it sounds like we had a we had a um, we had a uh, the answering machine. Yeah. The telephone answering machine yeah. had an outgoing message that every day was different, and every day was crazier and crazier, and it, they were so popular. That chum, the the DJs in the morning, they used to tape the outgoing message and play them as a regular bit wow. on the radio. Did it and advertise your what film it was playing, or well, was it yeah, out? like we'd advertise? But they were always crazy. Like they were so crazy that one time we were showing The Exorcist. Uh-huh. And we knew that the Exorcist would not was gonna be packed, and we just we didn't need to say the Exorcist Friday and Saturday or whatever yeah. seven and blah blah blah. Yeah. So we did. Um, <clears throat> we did. Um, we go into this little office. It was like a bunker with popcorn bags. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we get on and we go. Slamming. <laughs> Well, hang on, hang on. Do you have audio of these of these uh, voice messages, these outgoing messages? You haven't saved any of them. You no, don't have an archive, eh? I don't even know how you Fuck, do it. I'd love TV. to share it's that like with a people. Machine. Anyway, well, you just did. So we anyways. did that. We did <laughs> yeah. that, and um, <laughs> then on the Monday morning, we go to pick up all our movies from the end of the week yeah. and and take them back and bring the new movies back. Right. Jeez. We get to the front door, and there's two undercover cops waiting at the door okay and um the old the good old days yeah, yeah and we um we didn't know they were cops until they showed us their badge said 
said uh, we've had a complaint from Warner Brothers that you've oh, man. you've um, broken the copyright rules and you've used some of the movie soundtrack on your answering machine and we've heard it <laughs> so we're here to to bust you on that to, well, Come I don't on. know if they were going to bust us but they wanted to talk to us about it right and we said oh that <laughs> we said come on up come on up to the <laughs> to the uh, projection to the office yeah yeah which was next to the projection booth and uh, so they actually helped uh, they actually carried some cans up so it was great but um so he says, oh, this? The copyright police. You got to love that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we said, oh, this? And we play it. He says, yeah, yeah. Come on. And then we reenacted it, slamming the <laughs> desk drawer. And I won't do it again. Yeah. The desk drawer and slamming it and all that stuff. And they kind of laughed and said, okay. <laughs> wow. Waste of time. <laughs> Well, the good old days of Toronto when when they'd actually send two cops for yeah, that. No, I mean, I, I mean, I mean. No, it was it was incredible. Is like, there is there a plaque at the uh, at the Tim Hortons now that there honor is, the but Roxy? You know, as Colin um, Colin Brunton yeah has complained to the uh, to the historical board or whatever yeah, you call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because people seem to only know the Rocky Horror Show at the Roxy. Right. You know, when people used to get dressed up and sing along right. and do all... Right. That wasn't us. That came when we After left. Guys, yes, he that. wasn't... That. Rocky Horror Show wasn't even popular right. when we showed it. Right. It was so underground. The only people that used to come to it were people who eventually op started punk bands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we showed the That's Rocky important. Horror Show at the New... We did Wayne County at the, and the Backstreet Boys at the New, at the New Yorker, and they we nor they could afford hotel rooms so we showed movies all night and then they got back on the bus at eight o'clock in the morning and they wanted to see the rocky horror show so we booked it for the new yorker Jeez. and they had never seen it it was <coughs> it was a wow. very um wow it was it was far from what it is today but um so, so the the issue is the plaque doesn't really give it justice. Like no. the, this interview, and we've complained and said, you know, like this isn't <laughs> yeah. fair. Yeah, you know, huh. when you go in the theater, there's still one display case, oh, yeah? and there's yeah. a poster of ours in there. But everything's based around the fucking Rocky Horror Show and oh, picture man. show and and all that. And mm. you know, it's very depressing. Yeah, because I understand it was. It was a time and place, right? It was a right? time like, in Toronto. So many people. I mean, I get so many. Runt, Al, Al, yeah, Al, yeah. Um, yeah, right, right, right. The Alex art. Curry. Yeah, yeah. He used to come there with his mom. Fuck. He was that young. You know, the B girls used to come there. Wow. Bruce Cobra, like all these people yeah. used to. The press came all the time. The radio guys, they loved it. David Marsden used to come with his dog hmm. all the time, you know. Hmm. Um, and it oh, was okay. not run like a movie theater. Like, you you know, I can't. I, I can't. Well, I you, guys get were getting away, you guys were getting away with. We were getting away with murder, and everybody you know? loved it. And I don't just mean like people were free to smoke. Right. But right. you walked in the door, and there were trailers blasting, and I was DJing the music. And I DJed the music wow. every show wow. from 
1972 to tomorrow. Wow. You know, um, like I played the music that suited the audience and suited the... Um, yeah, man. And loud. You know, it was... It, and I, I would show... I would You'd open the doors and there'd be trailers running for like a half an hour, 45 minutes before the movie started. And then the movie would start. Like, and we'd have contests and... You know, all sorts of things. We had like Brian Ferry lookalike contests. In oh. fact, we had that, and my cat, my black cat Boston, he won. Whoa, man, it sounds like and, like uh, vaudeville. I no, mean, total vaudeville. We had people who'd got up on stage and do their little shtick, you know, and some of them were like crazy, and some of them weren't and <laughs> look gary man we uh we should, should have probably made this a four-parter it, it's an honor to speak with you but i want to i want to do this i want to talk a little bit about like we well, didn't, get, we didn't, we didn't get to do the rifle round but but then i want to end it with a, a reflection on nash i i, I want to talk okay. a little bit about nash and and how you guys met and what you got yeah, well you know so you, so okay so the bands that i'm yeah at the roxy i started the first the first show that Rough Trade ever did as oh. a band named Rough Trade was at the Roxy. Thunder Mug out of London, Ontario, and Nash the Slash. Nash was in a band called Breathless. Right. Who were a very progressive... You know, I'm not into progressive rock necessarily. Things Won't hold that like against you. Fusion. Right. Or whatever. But they were a great band with great songs and great great image and the whole thing and nash played violin and used to blow fire and they used to come to the theater yeah yeah right right he so, was a regular so um I, I used to i booked them a few times and that's where i struck up a friendship with nash jeff mm -hmm. and um at one point there was uh there was a um an apartment above the roxy where we used to you know, as I said, we used to have contests and all night shows. We'd roll, we'd make like a couple of prime rib in the oven, and in three o'clock in the morning, when everybody's like starving, we'd have a contest, and whoever won, everybody's roll got a roast beef sandwich and stuff. But Nash rent we rented the play the apartment to Nash. Wow, your own Kramer. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, and you know we had become friends and all that and then he left breathless and he he this was around the time when um well we were all into roxy music and i used to promote roxy music big time yeah at the theater used wow. to give away their first two albums and wow. nobody cared people would leave them on the floor Man. nobody kept them Man. paraphernalia roxy what do you call it uh, uh what's that word s uh Swag? Swag. I hate that word. Yeah. But Roxy swag that we'd get from the record company, and people wouldn't even take it. But Fuck. Jeff and I were really into Roxy music. Uh -huh. And around the time when Jeff wanted to uh, just go out on his own, he was kind of being, he was kind of in, he was pretty influenced that way by Eno. Okay. Who was doing his own records. Yeah. Yeah. And had left Roxy. And, uh, um we uh so i remember one time hmm. when i lived on saint nicholas he was over and we were talking about sort of launching nash the slash or launching this 
his the solo career yeah i'm thinking of of um names yeah and uh he he kind of liked the nash the slash from the laurel and hardy movie and right um, right but we were think we you know we were thinking of of uh names and i don't know how it came up but we came up with the name little skippy hitler and the shower room antics it was pretty pretty extreme and we just we started to laugh the kind of laugh and he and i had these bouts of laughter very often mm, mm. Uh, where you'd think you were going to die yeah yeah that you couldn't breathe yeah they yeah. were so intense but anyway after <laughs> after that then on we can't do that what about little skippy H- hitler and the shower romantics <laughs> Oh that oh that makes it okay. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, makes yeah, it. Yeah. And there you go again, almost die. Yeah, but uh yeah, there was a yeah, you yeah, know yeah. so um anyway he we did that and then at the Roxy mm. we premiered his first uh performance as Nash the Slash with a Shenandoah and we projected it on the big screen and he sat in, in you know, on the little lip of the stage. What was that like? How was it received? Oh, it was received great. Like, who had done that before? Great buzz, eh? Yeah, like a... Like, in those days, people were ready for the unexpected. Yeah. You know, and just... Speaking and of that all risks. carried on yeah. to the... You know, through the punk rock days, too. Like, yeah. you know, you could do the Ramones in Wayne County in, in two weeks and then bring Ali Akbar Khan or Cecil Taylor, and people would come because they were interested in... expanding you know i'm not saying i expanded their minds but we were just booking our own interests but you had an audience you like there were we had an audience we had an audience and they'd go with you for that ride yeah like yeah yeah Yeah. like it going to the roxy was like a a club you knew everybody and you talked to everybody and you you listened to everybody and got got encouraged f- and idea you know whatever it was just was like co- you know not communal but it was yeah. communal entertaining for yeah. sure yeah so and nash you, yeah. you know and nash and i were very fr- you know good friends yeah how long was your friendship? Nine, three, eight, three, uh, one, two, three, three. i forget now i've got his four one no anyway go on yeah, you had his phone number. 4618247. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's rattling I can't up think there. of. No, I I mm. remember it but I don't now. Mm. Now we're talking, but uh yeah. Mm. And um I mean I didn't go to see every gig he did because yeah. I you yeah. know. But I promoted a lot of shows with him and helped him when he did uh his uh you know Phantom Phantom of the Operas and Nosferatu at the Bluer and yeah. whatever. Yeah. In fact, um when we owned a cottage, yeah, every August we would have. This is like in the nineties. Yeah. we would have. Uh, uh, we made a huge screen out of canvas uh-huh. and strung it on pulleys between two trees. Man, in front of our cottage, and we would invite all our friends from the you know area and people that 
who wanted to come up, you know, and we'd have like potluck dinner and you know, loud music and and show movies. And, I love the and DIY. I would, of I all would that. show his movies. You would, eh? I would yeah. show those movies yeah, yeah, yeah. with his soundtrack. Cool, cool. And we almost had, I almost had him play live. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. every time we did it was in August, and every time we did it, there was shitty weather. Yeah. We were always fighting against rain, uh-huh. and we were terrified that if it rained, yeah. he'd lose like everything, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. hard to move. Right. You can move a projector and... Uh, but gear and the whole all bit. All that gear. Yeah, yeah. And so we never yeah. did it, but that's what we showed was his movies. I, lo- I love his it. His soundtracks. From the butcher shop DIY oh, pop-up yeah. uh, cinema to it's all at the DIY. cottage. Yeah. It was all play it, play it as it lays, you know? You just, it was, everything was spontaneous. And so when the two tops, when the two Garys come along, the two tops, the two Garys come along, is that after the Roxy was finished? Well, so when the Roxy... Um, How does that happen chronologically? When the Roxy... Uh, uh, the landlord. We wanted the landlord to spend some money on the theater. Yeah, because it had been through hell. We had had fires in the place. You know, people would, a joint would f- fall down sure. into the into the ventilation hole in the floor, and then all of a sudden, all the garbage that the cleaners would sweep down there instead of into the bag would catch on fire, and there'd oh be God. fire. Anyway, we wanted some rena- some uh, painting done and whatever. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, if you change, if you raise the price to a dollar ninety nine, we'll spend that extra money and clean the place up, which they never did. Yeah, so right. at that point, the New Yorker theater was was available to rent. Right. And the New Yorker, in its day, was Toronto's leading art house. Ah. Uh, you know, I wow. wouldn't necessarily call it an art movie, but like that's where uh, Easy Rider played for like three years or something, five wow. years. And and all, all right. the foreign good foreign films played there. Where where is it? Or the was New it? Yorker, yeah. the New Yorker. Oh, where the New Yorker yeah. was on Bloor, south of, just down the street from where CineCity was, which is the post office, okay. which is now, okay. I, the Panasonic Theater, uh-huh. or the whatever it is, the CAA Theater now. <laughs> it was called the New Yorker Theater. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so. I moved there with the guy that I was, you know, that I was partners with at the Roxy. That another person that I had uh, said, "Hey, you wanna, yeah, you wanna be a partner?" Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, huh. we moved there, and then what we wanted to do was, re- ra- um, we wanted to bring Nathan's hot dogs and sell them at the theater. New Yorker Nathan's hot dogs makes Nathan's sense. Are great. But we needed a good candy bar, and we wanted to sell good stuff at the candy bar. So David Andoff, who was the art director at A&M Records, oh. who was a friend who used to do all the Me- McKenna Mendelssohn mainline okay. posters and all that. Yeah. Uh, great artist. Episode number six for you industry tactics listeners, Mendelssohn Joe. Keep going. And... Um, he uh, he introduced me or us to Gary Cormier. Here we go. Who was in the music business, got out of it because he hated it, and was a carpenter, a very good carpenter. Huh. And um, so he redid the the candy bar, 
and well I, okay I, he, he as a as a a woodworker he, he as a woodworker camera. but that's how as you met we him. became friends huh. as we got to know each other yeah yeah and as he started listening to what i had to say yeah about you know what i had been you know just my experiences and what i liked he got intrigued and the band little feet mm -hmm. really drew us together great and love this as he was as he was just before he was doing the uh, or as i can't remember I had gone to David Bluestein, Blue as everybody knows him, who was the leading and probably the best music agent this country ever knew. Mm. We went to him, said, we're, gonna, we're building a stage out of concrete. The building inspector said, you don't need a stage out of concrete. This is like a fallout shelter. Mm. You could put elephants on this. You just need to, but we had already done it. Heather's <laughs> my wife's yeah. brother and her her hillbilly friends came from up north and built this thing. Love it, love it. So we go to Blue and, uh, okay, so we've got the stage. No. What do we need? Who do we put on no, it? No, okay. first, what do we need on this stage as far as power? Okay. Where do we need the plugs? Where, you know, okay. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Where do we need plugs for PA, for lights, for, sure. ba for backline, everything? Industry tactics. So he showed us. He said, so who do you want to book? I want to book a band called Ramones. Fucking A. Who are they? <laughs> so I explained. He says, okay, give me, you know. Like they're me. not well known at that point. They're only it, to known many. to people who knew sure, them. Sure, sure. They're not nowhere near industry. Yeah. He didn't know who they were. Yeah. So about four or five days later, he calls me. He says, okay, I found Ramon, the Ramones. 5,000 bucks, they'll do three shows for you. I said I wanted to do three shows. I want to do a Friday 8 o'clock, a Friday midnight, and, and a Saturday midnight. Okay. How much? $5,000. You know, I wanted to do it so badly. I, uh, I had That's no idea what would happen. $5,000, a lot of money. a lot of money 19, back then. In you know, in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, it is. No, seventy six. Holy shit. And um anyway we did it.
The reason I booked them was because I was running this movie called Blank Generation, uh-huh. which was a movie that Amos Poe made. Amos Poe is an American, a New York filmmaker, okay. who made this movie, home mo- a compilation of home movies yeah. of all the bands that were coming out at the time. Wild. Talking Heads, Tough Tarts, Wild. You know, Heartbreakers, you name yeah, it, yeah. Ramones. Wayne County. It was a really great little. And I'm sitting there one night watching it, Saturday midnight, and I thought, you know, I've run like 50 million movies. I can't run them anymore. There's only so many movies I can r- I can find yeah. that interest me. Yeah. And that I want to rerun. I got to start doing something else. New Yorker. I got to bring these bands in. So that's how why I, I immediately thought of Ramones. And I had been reading about them. Wow. And, and actually it was the first time that I ever heard... The term punk rock was in conjunction with the Ramones. I'd I'd heard of a Detroit band, you know, in kind of Iggy pre Iggy days yeah. called the Punks. Yeah, never heard them, but had heard of them. Yeah. heard of them, but so I thought New Yorker band. I'm gonna. These are the and as I said earlier, these bands are like this is an exciting scene. This was to me like listening to the the new jazz in the 60s, right? Would that have been one of the first times they came to Toronto? Ramones? That, that was the first, their first shows in Toronto. Um, Fucking A. And, and about a thousand people came over the three shows. The theater yeah. held 500 people. Okay, that sounds like it's and good numbers. I remember numbers. walking up the aisle with Danny Fields. He says, what, do you, what did you think? I said, they're the who are the 70s. Wow. Like they were fucking great. You yeah, know, yeah. 35 minutes set or 40 minutes set. Yeah, wow. And. Wow, man. And. Um, you took a risk. I, uh, you know, we lost lots of money on it. And, and we lost lots of money all through the New Yorker with the bands. Because <coughs> we didn't know what we were doing. But at that point, just before the Ramones mm. came here, I had asked. Gary, why don't you become partners? You want to be our partner? Yeah. And he kind of taught me how to book bands. Yeah. And as I said earlier, we, you know, Jeff was getting frustrated because he didn't like music. He didn't like punk rock. He didn't like jazz. He didn't like the kids who came to these shows. And eventually when we moved to the New Yorker, he kind of left. You know, very, uh, not a very nice way, but mm. anyway. Um, mm. uh, so, and Gary and I continued, mm. and and, uh, and I said we we just booked out of our libraries, and you know the bands back then we were booking the Ramones and Talking Heads, nineteen seventy eight, and uh, Wayne County and John Cale and Tom Waits and mm. Mills Lofgren who plays with Bruce Springsteen and. Uh, Cecil Taylor and Carla Blay and and these are there Taj Mahal and Lightning wow. Hopkins and I can't think of them all but this was the beginning the real beginning of booking music and then and then <coughs> the New Yorker he wanted more rent and he wanted to increase the rent and uh, we couldn't afford it and and um, Gary 
knew the guy who was running the horseshoe at the time and he asked us if we wanted to go there wow. so uh, the very last night of the new yorker we went to the horseshoe mm. at midnight mm-hmm. with wood and hammers and nails and gary being the carpenter we put this we wanted the horseshoe we were going to run it to be cool and different from anywhere else yeah. and as we said on our first handbill toronto's first concert club so we went with all this all this carpenter stuff and we built the stage where it currently is in that cubicle at the end so it was like looking at a concert stage Wow. It, the original stage was where the current bar okay. is on the upper level. You guys built that stage? We built that stage all night That's long nuts. till I don't know when, you know, early afternoon. The first Jeez. person who saw it, who came in and saw it and said, Welcome to Queen Street was Handsome Ned. Wow. Who lived, you know, was checking sure. it out. Sure. And, um, and we started booking there. And the same kind of policy. You know, everything from, as I say, Cecil Taylor to Sun Ra, uh, like Sun Ra, not alive Sun Ra. And, and the Ramones never played there. But um, wow, just an Gary. amazing schedule. And then, and then the guy who ran the horseshoe, we were just starting to make money. And the guy, the horseshoe, said he's going back to country, which was just a lie. Uh, I mean, he went yeah. and put back that sure. uh, Hank Williams, the show he never gave, play back in there and took the stage out. And um, and then it went back to, like, punk rock for a few years. And, mm. and you know, the rest is kind of history with them. Yeah. And then yeah. when we left the horseshoe... Um, Ron Chapman, who ran who ran the Ed, uh, ran Edgerton's mm-hmm. uh, at Church and Church and Gerard, mm-hmm. um, invited us to do shows there. So we built a stage there, <laughs> and Edgerton's was named after Edgerton Ryerson. It was Edgerton okay. Ryerson founded Ryerson, right. and that was his first schoolhouse wow. right at the corner there. It's still there as a an old house and then we came in there and Gary came up with the name the edge and um, and then we continued our programming there until uh, until they they sold the building the edge and to the United Church up the street became a drop-in center, which it is now, I think. Uh-huh. <coughs> and Gary and I just continued on our merry way doing shows in various venues, clubs, concerts, you know, theaters, concert halls, outdoors. Man. Wow, Gary. You know, and That's you amazing. asked me about, you know, the different bands. I mean, you say the police. I'm very, you know, I'm, the police were an amazing band. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they could have been the Beatles. Mm-hmm. They were on their way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The reason we booked them was because a very uh, unknown, eccentric 
British musician named Kevin Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of his. And one day, I get a phone call from Gary saying, uh, you want to book a band called The Police? Who are they? I don't know. Who are they? Uh, see who they are. Find out more about them. Right? Sure, sure. So in those days, we worked out of our own places, but we knew exactly what each other was doing. It was like we were connected yeah. by by uh, whatever the technical term is. Sure. We, you know, we knew. Anyway, we were so busy. I mean, I, had, I l- worked in my apartment, which was, yeah. you know, quite small. Yeah. And the phone was ringing off the hook, so I'd have a phone with a long extension cord. So yeah. if I went to take a shit, I'd take the phone with me <laughs> because, you know, I'd miss the call. Yeah. And I'd have to call them back, which is generally, uh, you long know, distance or long whatever. distance, yeah, and yeah. I'd save the money. So I'm sitting on the phone taking a shit, and he calls when he calls, and then he calls back and says, well, there's the drummer's... The drummer is a guy named Stuart Copeland, and I right. knew who he was right. from this band's Curved Air. Uh, says, wow. Sting, uh, Sting, guy named Sting is the bass player and singer. I don't know. Okay. And the guitarist is Andy Summers. Yeah. Fucking almost had diarrhea. Andy Summers? Find out if that's the same Andy Summers that plays guitar, played guitar with Kevin Coyne. Wow. Wow. Close back. Yes, same guy. Okay, let's book him. And I turned Gary on to Kevin Coyne, and we were both huge fans. Wow. So the reason we booked the police initially was because of Kevin Coyne, to get to Kevin Coyne. And as soon as the police got out of their, like, windowless van in back of the horseshoe, first thing, as soon as they were meeting each other, Andy, how do I get a hold of Kevin Coyne? And he gave, gave the address. And... As luck has it, Kevin Coyne was the last artist to play The Edge, coincidentally. You did book him. We were there. Kevin Coyne was playing for a week at The Edge. On account of you guys. When we were told that The Edge was closing. Wow.
Wow, man. There's so much fate and, you know, it's like really my beautiful. life. It's really beautiful My to life has, you. you know, started when I was banging on the wall, against yeah. the wall. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And, you know, I still, you know, I, you know, I still, uh, whatever, ha- you know, mm-hmm. whoever comes to my funeral, at least, um, not that I'm dying. No. Uh, you know. At least I know that I tried to help. Yeah, well, I really, I was talking yesterday with, with Dave Clark from The Real Statics, and he said, say hi to Gary Top. He really helped us out when we were coming up. Like, there's a thread throughout any musician I talk to about you. If you've ever tried to help them, you, you know, you've helped a lot of people out. You've taken that chance, right? Thelonious Well, the, re, the, the, um, the Real Statics, when we were at the edge. Yeah. Bedini used to send me tapes. Yeah. 
of, I love this. of the rheostatics. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if they had the name, the rheostatics, at that sure. time. But he'd send me tapes to the edge. And he was just a kid. Yeah. And they were very reggae-oriented. Oh. There was a lot of reggae in them, Interesting. as I recall. And um, <clears throat> well-produced. And he was at York University at the time. Okay. And I think he says this in his first book. He, he relates this story where, you know, <coughs> excuse me, I called uh, called his house and his mom answered. Yeah. And he wasn't there and asked, uh, you know, I don't know what I said, but yeah. tell Dave if he wants a gig to call me. <laughs> so it was like the first time they ever played. Charming. But, you know, it's... I um, I firmly believe in in loyalty. I'm loyal to everybody that I've grown up with mm-hmm. in in the in in my career. Mm-hmm. I don't know that many people that I you know grown up with just as a person. Um, and as as Trump changes people's way of thinking mm-hmm. i'm losing a lot of friends mm-hmm. uh, that i've had for years unfortunately mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i can't listen to the racism but you know i feel loyal and i like to help people and but on the other hand you know there's bands like the diodes who mm-hmm. from the minute i saw them opening for talking heads at oca yeah that singer has got to go i could never book them they are like great rhythm section, ridiculous singer. I just don't, um, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, which yeah, yeah. Everybody's heard that story from yeah. me, but like I, I wouldn't book movies that I like. I would book Airport, but I wouldn't book The Poseidon Adventure. Okay. Because I just Airport for me had. Yeah. Had it, you know, and uh, but I do like. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing finer for me yeah. than doing a show with somebody that's nobody's ever heard of and even if it's 10 people well, just yeah. seeing the reaction and I like and I've always liked the challenge of trying to get people out to see something and I do have people that still do unfortunately I've always well I've always booked for my um, my peers yeah more or less yeah you know yeah and yeah you know a younger generation now just doesn't get doesn't get it isn't interested so i don't know and i'm not interested in 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 the business or the or the artistry of 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 most of the stuff that's out there I was gonna say I don't know who the Gary Tops. I don't know like you're you are a one of a kind but I was just thinking like are there I mean there are some young bookers out there that that have in a way for me the, the same aesthetic a little bit like I, I see you in others like I, I I see it there right taking risks doing it where where they might be losing their shirt a lot of the times and you look at it and go I admire that like you're booking for the right reasons right you're yeah. curating as you do right <coughs> well I don't know, you know if it's necessarily it's, the right reason well but it's I, admire it. I admire it I admire yeah, it I, I mean I, I think, think like Lou Molinero yeah at the St. Hollywood yeah. is yeah is is that yeah uh, but yeah. um it's just uh Tad Michelak it's comes like to mind. I just you shout know, out to Tad Michelak I like working in the stuff I like and what I know yeah man you know yeah. and I don't care who doesn't like it you know that's it uh, like a 
1997, I saw a band, a, a, a trio of girls mm. playing instruments on TV mm. when I was on the phone. Mm -hmm. And because I liked the banjo, okay, I got off the phone and I turned up the volume. And that's a pretty good song. And they play too. Wow. Yeah. Called the record company. Who are the Dixie Chicks? <laughs> oh, you never heard of them? No. Uh, they're they're kind of not very well known yet, mm. you know. But why? Oh, uh, can I book them? Wow! Everybody thought I was a joke. The record company says we've been looking for six months for somebody to book them. Wow! Supposedly Gary turned them down. CPI. <laughs> everybody turned them down. Yeah. <clears throat> oh God! Please, con put me in contact with them. Nice. Everybody, when I booked it, yeah said don't do it new country doesn't sell yeah and i thought to myself they ain't new country one thing yeah they're they are the real deal yeah and i don't care wow uh wow and i um i was doing a show kmfdm with with elliot lefko when he was at mca and uh we were talking after the show and he said what do you got coming up i said i got a country band coming up <laughs> Nice. And I told he oh, who he said and he he said don't do it you'll lose your shirt. Anyways, I'm doing it. It's it's booked everything. <laughs> no press. Nobody yeah. wanted to even announce the show. Yeah, yeah. In the newspapers like it, that the tickets were going on sale. And it was uh like the show was like 4 months later in April or something and it was like completely sold out. And my friend wow. who, my stage manager, I said, I need people on stage. It's going to be stage diving. It's going to be crazy. He said, nah, it's a country band. It's a country band. Nobody, it's going to be old people. I said, it'll be a mix of everybody. Yeah. Mark my words. Really? They were stage diving. For anybody who's listening, as wow. far as I'm concerned, the, like, it's different now when they're in arenas. But yeah, yeah. at Massey Hall, they, I put them into Massey Hall. Dixie Chicks. It was equivalent to I, three bands come to mind. Okay. The Stray Cats, the Pogues, and the English Beat. Really? That's what they were like. Really? Yeah. And they yeah. were so loyal to me. The next time they were coming through, they were way bigger. And an American uh, yeah, yeah. company had paid them millions of dollars for the whole tour, right? Yeah, yeah. And they cut me into the profit of the Toronto show and I oh. wasn't even in town to collect it. Isn't that I nice? wasn't there to I wasn't there when they played. Wow. I was in Europe. And I made something like ten thousand bucks. Holy cow. And um, you know, that was one of their first headlining shows. That's in, nice to in hear in a theater. That's nice to hear that, Louis. Because they used to open for like George Strait and all these <laughs> they'd open for them and then just clean up on merchandise. But they yeah. were nobody knew who they were here. Nobody wanted to know about them. So that's you know like that. Every time that happens, whether it's big like the Dixie Chicks, or yeah. small like uh, you know a Stephanie Nillis who I'm bringing into Duggins and you know in uh, September. Yeah. I just I love it. It makes me happy. Hats off to you, Gary. Thank, Thank you. you. What, give us one last nugget, little, little Gary Top nugget. Here it comes. 
Well, it's a quote, another quote that I love yeah. from Albert Eiler. Yeah, please, please. You may not like it now, but you will. Fucking A. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was it, my talk with Gary Top. Thank you again, Gary, for making time, lots of time for us here on the Industry Tactics Podcast. If you made it this far, we just finished listening to uh, The Police uh, uh, on the Edge. Uh, some rare uh, some rare audio there. Also, we heard uh, before that Kevin Coyne with Andy Summers. And uh, before that, we heard live at the New Yorker, The Ramones, uh, with some Greg, apparently some Greg Godowitz. You could hear it at the end of the, of the tune. Uh, so go back and listen back some rare footage from the archive of Mr. Gary Top. Thanks again, Gary. And join us again next time on Industry Tactics at Industry Tactics. Tweet us and let us know what you're thinking. And also go to my website, FriendlyRich.com, for a whole whack of interesting dates and news coming up this fall. See you again next time. Bye for now. <laughs>